Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? This is Uncle Francis's wine cellar. The cut by cut Francis for Coppola podcast. And this is a Cage Club Network production. Boy, that's that's a deep cut. Well, I hope you watched the movie. I hope you did your homework because you're not going <laughs> to know who that is if you didn't. But buona sera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's wine cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but where's Michael? We're not starting the podcast without Michael. Hey, it's okay. We can start the podcast now. I'm here. How's it going? <laughs> he has arrived. Mike, so good to see you. Interesting one we're going to talk about today for our December Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar episode. Yes. But before we get in to New York stories... Yeah. want to remind you out there, you cellar dwellers out there to keep your friends close and your podcasters closer and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher while you're there leave us a positive review or a five-star rating also follow us on social media uncle francis's wine cellar on instagram haven't created the twitter yet because i want to see if twitter lasts uh, <laughs> to 2023 you know what's the new thing are you got the hive you get the Hive uh, address on lockdown. <laughs> Whatever. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, let, let's just see how the dust settles. Regardless, uh, you Certainly. can follow me on Twitter personally at OhMyRodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. Also, you can follow Mike at the Mikester pretty much everywhere, right? Pretty much, yeah. Absolutely. The underscore Mikester. Truth Social. I believe you're not on. Mike, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> um... But yeah, in the normal places, you can find the Mikester everywhere. And of course, we have other shows here on the Cage Club Podcast Network. I host a show called High School Slumber Party as well, where we talk teen-based films, high school films. Mike, God, yes. you host so many shows. I don't know if you want to plug about the end. Uh, now, yeah, but... you know, uh, basically Monsters That Made Us. This show, the titular Cage Club show with Joey Lewandowski, the one that stuttered it all, where we talked about all the Nick Cage movies. So, uh, yeah, tons of stuff. N- Nephew Nicholas. That's right. That's right. Hey, <laughs> actually, uh, Little Nicky, I think, was his uh, <laughs> moniker back oh, in the wow. day. <laughs> <laughs> Nephew Nicky's something. I don't know. <laughs> it's just Cage Club. All that, it makes me need to reach for my bottle of wine. Oh, look at that. Glass. New one today. I found this one. I know. I see that. Red blend. You know, it's, it's Christmas time. It's the holiday time. So I figured let's just drink the Francis Coppola Diamond Collection Red Blend from 2018. I already opened it. The wife wanted some, and I figured You're someone right. should share the load with me so I'm not hungover tomorrow. So why not, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only Tuesday. So, <laughs> so why not? Good job. And I am having some delicious uh coffee that i wish was 
branded by the Coppola name, but isn't yet. I'm telling you, Francis, you should branch out a little bit more. That'd be great, you know, go into all different types of eatery things, you know. Francis uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure, coffee I'm sure there's some coffee i'm sure there's a special uh pasta sauce that runs in his family he could be making millions off of you know cheers cheers salute not quite at lucas level with the marketing but we love our coppola wine and by the way the cannoli sponsorship is still open um if you listen to (laughs) too fast too forever um someone on there and i can't remember who was either joey or joe too i'm guessing it was joey said that if we ever podcast together that he will uh what do you call it what are those delivery services i don't know like a doordash thing yeah doordash that, that's what i was thinking of. he said he would doordash us some cannolis so maybe one day well brian if uh not if but when we get together to do our in-person recording you bet your sweet ass there's gonna be some delicious cannolis waiting for you <laughs> during those which I can only have one bite on. And uh, so I, I was on uh, Too Fast, Too Forever. We talked... What film did we talk to? Oh, Dear John. Fast Fast and Furious? No. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. It was Dear John. Don't ask me why. Dear John, which is that? I'm not sure if I'm familiar. I remember the TV show with Judd Hirsch. <laughs> it was a Channing Tatum film. It was also for their oh, Channing okay. Tatum. Say no more. Revival <laughs> podcast. Regardless, it was a blast talking that movie because it's a Nicholas Sparks movie. It was wild. So check oh, that wow. out. But we we talked a bunch of Uncle Francis on there, just you know, plugging the show and stuff. And I asked Joe too, since I am lactose intolerant and cannolis give me problems when I eat them. I was like, Joe too, you're an Italian. What what's your ruling on like a vegan cannoli? And he said, absolutely not. Really, really. I mean, because I'd have thought, you know. He's the scientist. He's in the lab. He's cooking up synthetic stuff all day that he would have been like, Eureka, I've created the perfect cannoli for the lactose intolerant. (laughs) Maybe he will. Who knows? But we're podcasting remotely if you're listening, by the way. But when we do get together in the same room, it's going to be like a Coppola-like feast, right? It's going to be like cannolis (laughs) and, and... the wine's going to be flowing. It's going to be like mm-hmm. like, like Puzo and Coppola in the offer. Oh, right? that, we're perfect, just going to indulge. Yeah, that, that, that's the perfect example, I think, you know. And uh, we'll try and have it well documented. Uh, <laughs> take some photographs, make sure we're dressed pretty sharp. Uh, all the, the whole nines. Definitely. Oh, man. Oh, man. So before we get into 1989's New York Stories, a.k.a. the film that Francis Ford Coppola actually takes the godfather to heart because he proves that he does have a sentimental weakness for his children uh oh, but, but, but first brian i believe uh you misspoke there the full title on my dvd anyway is new york stories one city three stories tall yes I, I, that's the tagline regardless <laughs> is it is it the tagline it's not in quotation marks no i'm being a stickler but i just had to interrupt good good point we'll get into all three stories and what this project is and if it succeeds or not you know, we'll talk i have about it. I, man i have one gigantic note and uh we'll just i'll just leave it at that <laughs> uh before that we do have our regular segments first 
Where is the Godfather? Wait, wait. First, we need some kind of theme. Uh, so, listeners out there, if anybody's musically inclined and would love to bless us with some kind of jingle for any of these segments, that'd be amazing. Because I'm going to try and work on some too. I don't want you to think I'm just passing passing off some some work to to our listeners, but that'd be amazing. Because I just was like, you know, in my head when you said "Where is the Godfather," I had the Carmen San Diego music with new lyrics going. Where Ooh. in the world is the godfather you know but that's kind of lame right so like it it gives me the idea that like it would be awesome to have just like little like two three second kind of jingles for for these segments speaking of carmen and if you happen to be the father of francis ford coppola and you would like to compose us some music from wherever you are currently (laughs) we're open to that as well um yeah, I've been I've been like I've been like really musically like inclined lately to get more original music onto every show. Like when I was last on the Too Fast Too Forever podcast, I busted out an original rhyme for them that was like a couple bars long. Uh, dropped the acapella and was like, "Hey, anyone listening want to put some beats to this? You know, go right ahead, be my guest." So I'm just dropping just dropping you know little inceptions. Uh, out there if you're listening so no one has to do anything i'm just saying like it would blow my mind if anyone came through on that wow dropping beats dropping knowledge this this is a you know a, a mikester i can get behind <laughs> so, yeah I, from my five dads to my solo rap career i guess <laughs> so where's the godfather mike i thought this was going to be an easy assignment i figured it was still on peacock because mm-hmm. that's that's what happens with movies they stay on a place for like you would think a couple months yeah netflix gets movies for like almost a year sometimes right like yeah and i should we do a part of the segment where i guess which streaming platform it's on now no because it'll take too long because you'll never guess well, i get one i get one guess fine for, for chance okay uh i think it's on uh exclusively streaming on voodoo no um, you're not terribly wrong but no it is not on voodoo it'll probably be there next month but again the godfather continues to be the whore of the paramount library <laughs> and i'm not slut shaming i love the godfather i'm glad it's getting around but it's got its fingers in everything it, it, it's amazing mike it's amazing so it's available in two places streaming now look you can rent it anywhere get the dvd like us but it's available in two places streaming. One, if you happen to own Fubo TV, which is like one of those oh, streaming. I almost fucking said that, dude, because I tried that service for a month and and kind of and dropped it and went to something else. But like that was in the back of my head. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> and it's apparently available on AMC. So if you have any kind of cable and you have amc on demand you can get the godfather there it might have commercials yeah, but yeah it's just their turn to have yeah. the greatest film franchise of all time in my opinion so that's that's hilarious i should have guessed because uh, now that i think a little deeper about it uh godfather part two was on a lot last week a oh. lot on, a- on amc it was like godfather goodfellas a bronx tale in like nice. heavy rotation <laughs> nice i don't know what they were doing it wasn't columbus day by the way mike i I think you hit on something that is kind of like an aha moment i don't know if this is true but i seem to remember the godfather playing a lot around christmas time like in marathons Mm. like i remember being at like 
my family's house scrolling through channels and like Godfather was playing on loop. Maybe this is AMC's okay. December thing and we just didn't realize, right? Like they always do a Godfather marathon. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, two good reasons to do it. One, the first one is kind of a Christmas movie, right? Like it's yeah. there's a lot like that first like 40 minutes is almost like the first half is almost a Christmas thing. Uh, the second, they're long as hell, right? So like it's all you need to program is like, what are we going to show today? Three Godfather movies back to back to back. It's like, all right, great, sweet. Like, you know, that day is taken care of. We don't have to worry about what else we're showing that day on AMC. So a little uh, behind the curtain here, we actually recording this in November. Ooh, a little kayfabe, breaking kayfabe here. <laughs> breaking kayfabe. We were recording this right before Thanksgiving, and I'm reading about AMC's schedule in the past, and... They traditionally have run a Thanksgiving Godfather marathon, so maybe that's what I'm remembering. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it, all right, and that's coming up. All right. So maybe that's just why it's on there. You know what I think is, like, they're just ready to pull the trigger and have their Godfather marathon ready for any occasion. Fourth of July, Godfather marathon. You know, <laughs> Veterans Day. My, hey, Mikey was a veteran Godfather marathon, you know? <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, I just want to know where it is, right? Like, Right, right. Twitter still exists in 2023. I'm seriously contemplating making a Twitter that just updates people where The Godfather is streaming. That'll probably be more popular than the show, honestly, because people want to know. I want to know. You want to know. I mean, yeah, you know, you'd be reaching a lot more people, you know, just generally, and they could just then they could discover the show through that, and that would be the best. That would that would be the best to be like, oh, how'd you find the show? Well, I wanted to know where The Godfather was streaming, and uh, you guys figured it out for me. <laughs> I feel like a large percentage of Uncle Francis's wine cellar is us concepting Uncle Francis's wine cellar, like us coming up with ideas. Because, because That's it's fine. So casual. It's casual, relaxed. We just have some wine and we chat. Exactly, Brian. You know, and I love that um, I can finally, you know, do that on a podcast. Like, not that I'm not trying. I feel like, you know, at times I try more when I'm expecting less from myself. I don't know. <laughs> it's so far, though, the material has pretty much spoken for itself. We'll see today if that continues to be the case. We got some more segments, though, to, to get to, Mike. Some really, really fun and important ones. The next one, one of my favorites. We started it last episode. By the way, filmmaker, amazing. I, I hope you guys listened to that episode. George Lucas doing a documentary about his friend, Francis Ford Coppola, for, for I was going to say the rainmaker, for the rain people. Um, check that episode out. But on that last episode, it was a f- the debut of Mike's Coppola Merchandise of the Week. Cue. <laughs> Jingle? <laughs> <laughs> One day. And I've been finding actually a lot of stuff too. But let's leave it mm-hmm. to, to you right now. Ah. We, we can alternate. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll do one, no, you do no. one. I don't want to alternate because I want, like, I feel like you okay, find okay. stuff in the wild. How, how about this? Well, just, about this? just this? Send, send, send me what you find, and it'll be like a roulette kind of thing. You'll never know when it comes up, right? You'll never know when I'm going to pull your suggestion out of the hat, and I'll have all my other ones, you know, cock and loaded. Once again, we are outlining the show on air, and I love it. <laughs> I'll, counter, I'll counter that with this. Always have something ready. I feel like you're good at finding things in the wild. The stuff that I'm finding are stuff that friends of ours are sending to me. So it's a little bit different. So yours is like the Mike Manzi Coppola merchandise piece of the episode. 
And mine is more like, oh, okay. here's a fan submitted thing. All right, that sounds good. All right. So what is the Mike Manzi Coppola merchandise of the week? First, I have a little, I don't know, extra, if you will, a caveat. I was going through the garage, and since we did a basically an episode on George Lucas last time, uh, I came across this book, George Lucas's Blockbusting. Oh. Are you aware of this book at all? Look how thick this fucker is. Look at this thing. So that is a thick book. It is a decade by decade survey of timeless movies, including untold secrets of their financial and cultural success. Uh, And it says forward by none other than Francis Ford Coppola. Nice. So, yeah, uh, I forgot I even had this. Edited by Alex Ben Block and Lucy Audrey Wilson. Uh, because I'm sure this was edited like a mofo. On the back, there's quotes from Spielberg, Scorsese, Walter Murch, Ron Howard. Yeah, this is a really cool compendium of very famous, like maybe like some of the most famous movies in American history, their box office, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I thought that was just like an honorable mention I had to bring up real quick. But let's get to the main event if you will. In this corner, we have none other this time than the Godfather tarot card set. It includes a tarot or tarot? It's tarot? It's pronounced tarot cards. I believe my girlfriend has a collection. I have a Lovecraft set just because of the art and I think they're incredible looking. And so like, this is a whole sort of cottage industry these days for like people on Etsy, popular artists, cult movies and things like are now developing tarot cards uh decks of cards as part of their marketing and part of their merchandising it's so hot right now like i went to a party over the summer people were tarotting and hansel it's like hansel so (laughs) hot right now like honestly like you know about a year ago i went to barnes and noble to get my girlfriend a a deck of cards and there was hardly anything to choose from we go like a week ago and there's freaking godfather tarot cards now like there's <laughs> everything you can imagine you know it, it's what just a good wild. way to like connect with your significant other mike than play godfather <laughs> tarot yeah and also you know to sort of dip your toe into other avenues of life out there you know what about godfather for the goth out there right or, or godfather for the wiccan or you know whoever anyone i like into it. this type of stuff like you know it doesn't really matter who or what are on the card it's what they you know signify that's most important so why not have fun with the designs of all these things so did you buy the set uh, I did not. I, I did. I did not have. I could not afford it at the time. I wish I uh, had more time to sort of open and go through it. But you could go online and sort of they give you about ten pages from the book. And uh, I guess every character has a couple different cards, and they're all sort of divided. So you know, right now they show they show the cards that are Vito Corleone, and it says in the cards, Vito's journey to America marked a new beginning for him and his family. His success, respect, and power marked his journey and his relations until his death. And then it shows him in a couple different pictures here, and it says uh, the beginnings, risks as the fool when he's coming to America, order and power as the emperor, then he has management and endurance under strength, you know, and then they go on like temperance, the hermit, et cetera, et cetera. So everyone is divided into different cards and the different, you know, meanings and everything. So, I mean, you know, look, it looks, it looks 
really cool if you're into that kind of thing. And we're into the Godfather, so I'm into whatever product they're coming out with. I don't know if it's a full episode, but maybe we have like a tarot reading segment. You know, we'll get we'll get like a, someone who knows the art really well of it, and we'll do you, me, and you know what? Like another behind the curtain here. I was at this said party. Our good friend, the foodie films man, Kyle Reinfried, was there. And I nudged him to get his cards read, and they were very accurate with him. And, and Kyle was like, oh my god, it was like a crazy moment. And let's replicate that on the show with Godfather tarot cards. I love it. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would do that. We'll, we'll try and find someone. I think Robin knows somebody, and uh, we'll just we'll get a deck of the cards. Maybe we could split them, and after the reading, we could each keep half and sort of frame them and put them up behind you on the, on the video wall there. <laughs> It could become part of a display. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, that's another thing that's cool about the tarot cards these days is that, like, the artwork on them is just incredible sometimes. They're just, they're nice sort of coffee table pieces. I wonder what the late James Kahn would have thought of of Godfather tarot cards. That's that's an interesting one, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're in a new world, but once again, tarot cards, tarot cards, so hot right now. So, I'm with Yeah, you. yeah. Yep. So that's that's the segment today. Pretty good one. All right. Fan submitted one, Mike. This is from Joe Two, the aforementioned Joe Two, Too Fast, Too Forever podcast. And I'm going to suggest that you give this to me for Christmas. I'm sorry for, you know, being that way. <laughs> I'm sorry for being so forward. But I'm going to send it to you right now via messenger. Okay. And, and since this is your segment, why don't you... Uh, discover it with the audience and explain it to us what I just sent you. Okay. What? <laughs> what, are... what the hell is that? The Opera Godfather musical watch rose gold. What the hell kind of watch is that? Retail. Dude, it looks. Okay. So, re... first of all, okay, retail price. Three hundred and eighty thousand dollars? You fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm not Second a watch all, guy. I'm not a watch guy. Okay. I, I, I don't. I don't spend twenty dollars for a watch. Three hundred eighty thousand dollars for a Godfather watch. What? Uh, buy buy a house if you have that money. Buy my house if you have. That. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't worn a watch in over twenty years. Uh, I'm not going to wear this, and it looks, folks, like a miniature player piano. Like, what is with that? You know, it's got like the player piano reels with the spokes coming out of it as if like paper is about to flow through it. And that's how it sounds. Yes, that's literally the sound from the watch. And it moves like it is a player piano and a watch at the same time. There is a action figure of, of the Godfather sitting in a chair in the middle of the watch. What are you doing, Jacob and company? What I'm is not wrong a watch with guy? I, I'm not going to criticize the watch because I, for the people who made it, it is a piece of art. Like that is art. Uh, I wear it. No, I would. It no, would, I would break it. You know what I mean? Look, I, uh, Brian, this is not art. Once you put a plastic little bobblehead inside of this otherwise gorgeous-looking spaceship from the future kind of design you know like the design itself is just hard to wrap my head around it but then i zoomed in on the little toy and i was like you got to be kidding me like it looks like a pinball machine with that toy in it like this is this is insane 
<laughs> this is insane. Yeah, listen to this. Uh, created in official partnership with Paramount Consumer Products, the Opera Godfather utilizes its bespoke complication of two rotating cylinders with a total of 36 teeth turning against two combs to play a melody of 120 notes of the Godfather theme music. I want What's to read all of this. I want to read all of this story like the Micro Machines Man as fast as I can out loud. Oh my God, this is insane. This is this is insane. This might we might have to do a special episode for Christmas, like you know, <laughs> of all of the stuff you could get people. <laughs> that is such a smart idea. It kind of ruins our like segment, but like yeah, but I mean we'll do it once. I mean for Christmas it's special. Like we'll just do a special kind of consumer reports sort like, of thing. Like Santa Francis's Christmas wish. I like it. I'm gonna write it down. I'm gonna write it down. That, that's great. Yeah, just like a Christmas list. You know, we'll check in on each other. It won't be a full movie or or like you know film episode or anything like that because there's enough to do this once an episode there's enough to do an episode of it you know we'll do a lot we'll yeah do like five how, or something how about yeah what to gift the coppola fan in your life right Ama- amazing i want this watch i, I was thinking mike that like I, <laughs> it's a shot this. in the dark i might like email this watch company and be like hey we have a fledgling <gasps> podcast we don't you know who no, are we? Brian. But please come on, come on the episode, come on the podcast, and explain this watch to us. Yes. Sell me this watch. You know, Brian. <laughs> so okay, so this segment is you know genius because now now we might be getting some free shit, right? Like now- <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get this watch for free. <laughs> well, not necessarily the watch, but like you know. Someone just hears us talking about Godfather tarot cards Wednesday, and who knows, lo and behold, like, not that we have a P.O. box, but, you know, someone's trying to reach us and be like, hey, you know, why don't you actually, like, you know, open up the box and do an unboxing and talk about it on your show? I wouldn't be against that. I'm not against that either. See, it's like we're recording planning meetings instead of the actual <laughs> episodes, and I love it. It's fun. This is, this is true dialogue here. Just drinking wine and talking about the show. <laughs> All fun stuff. So I'll post so, this yeah. on our social media, by the way. I'll post the watch. I'll post the, the tarot cards. And if you guys want to gift us these things for Christmas, we're open to it as well. It's so bizarre to have a show that all you do is sort of like talk about what the show is going to be, <laughs> like for the most part. Like it's a show about nothing. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Oh, man. You're, you're like, in my opinion now, Brian, like one of the – uh, ultimate New Yorkers, just because of like your whole your whole attitude about it, <laughs> the show about nothing coming in. Oh man! Reference, reference, reference. Woo! That was a fun segment. Right. I love that segment. Next segment, we need a new jingle. But Megalopolis update. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, this has to be sort of like Blade Runner, like futuristically, like yeah, true, true. weird synth music. <laughs> Megalopolis. Okay. Uh, Megalopolis officially started filming a couple weeks ago in Georgia. We had heard rumors, but no, it is shooting. Uh, Aubrey Plaza was on a podcast talking about it. She's so excited. Not much is known still, but the wheels are turning. Things are in motion. And that's the Megalopolis update. Another just general Coppola update. Um, We covered, and I didn't even realize I should have because I should have done the math, but... We covered Bram Stoker's Dracula for our Halloween episode with your monster that made us co-host, the great Dan Cologne. Well, we didn't do the math, but it's been 30 years. It's the 30th anniversary of that film. Wow. And there's a lot of uh, 
articles online, just like Google it, because a lot of people wrote about this film, and it's getting a little bit of a revival. Like, um, I know, like, Good. Amazon, Google, all these places listen to us. Like, you know, they, ha- <laughs> they have to, because I keep getting, like, like sent things in my algorithm about it. Obviously, I posted about it, so it makes sense. But we're not the only ones who rewatched it. We're not the only ones who reposted it. And this Halloween, it seemed like it was watched more, at least yeah. than it had been before because of the 30th anniversary. And... Everyone posting about it seemed to enjoy it, which which was exciting to me, right? Like, it's right, definitely right. one of Coppola's more appreciated films, right? Yeah, yeah. I think there were three main things that I kind of glommed off of most of the re- response to, for the most part, like, it seemed to be people who hadn't seen it in a long time or people who had never seen it before. And the first one is, dear God, this is gory. Like, holy shit, this is a fucking blood uh horror movie uh the second one is sort of like wow like it's practical effects it's like all practical visual effects like this is a lot of fun to watch because it looks so different than the modern movies you know 30 years on and the third one is coppola directed this this is a horror film and it's one of the most it's considered kind of one of the most um like closely adapted versions of of like anything kind of like any book i feel like it has sort of that kind of reputation to it and i think people were kind of uh freaking out about a couple of like not necessarily freaking out but like i i heard a lot about those kind of three things mostly about like how gory it was like the the gorgeous practical sets and effects and then this is francis ford coppola guy and then and i'm sort of sitting there go like oh you mean the guy who directed like apocalypse now like he can't do a horror movie have you seen apocalypse now (laughs) so i thought but overall i was uh i was enjoying the discourse going on about it yeah so cool so awesome i'm glad that film got a little bit of a revival and uh yeah i mean i really really enjoyed that one New York Stories, on the other hand, <laughs> oh boy, I'm, ex- I'm excited to talk about this one for, for different reasons. Mike, when was the first time you saw or even became aware of New York Stories? Okay, so I guess this is kind of, I don't I mean, this isn't anything, I mean, in retrospect, this might seem kind of weird, but like, all right, uh, when I was in college watching way too many movies every day, uh, I got it in my head that like, I'm going to start tackling directors entire filmographies okay and so i looked at the list and i was like huh woody allen put out a movie every year for like what like too many years you know i was like there's a movie a fucking year by this guy i was like i'm gonna watch them all and i didn't know much about woody allen himself aside from the biggies like annie hall and sleepers and uh i think mighty aphrodite was big when i was a kid and uh I really liked Match Point. I didn't know it was him until the credits. <laughs> so I'm watching all the Woody Allen movies, all right? And New York Stories is one of them. And so that was the first time I saw it. It was like sometime in the early 2000s. And I watched it because of that, because I was like this obsessive completionist at the time. And uh, yeah, and that's the first time I saw it. Now, he wasn't the only ones movies I watched. I think around that time I watched all the Godzilla films right after all the Woody Allen films. So it's not like it was this exclusive thing to that, but that was definitely the first time I saw this. And it's funny, Mike, like I watched it for the first time in the same exact context. I have the Blu-ray right here for the same context. And it's actually one of the first things that when we met that we bonded over, it doesn't age well, to be honest with you. But, um, (laughs) We 
uh, met, you know, while, while shooting a film, and I was doing the same thing as you were doing. I was watching every Woody Allen film. I own, I don't own every Woody Allen film because Woody Allen still made films after that era, right? Yeah, this yeah. Is probably 2010, 2011 we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Right. So he had made films after that. There's also some that are really hard to get, but I acquired most of them. And this was, let's be honest, this was during a period where people seem to have forgot about Woody Allen's allegations. Right. Um, his monsterness. And yes, yeah. I wasn't thinking about it right. And I fell in love with his movies. Not all of them are good, obviously. Like, if you yeah. make a movie a year. And you're given that privilege, and let's let's call it what it is—a privilege, because of a course. lot of directors, especially women directors, minority directors, are not allowed to fail as much as Woody Allen. The allegations aside, and I know that's very developed aside, the fact that this dude is allowed to fail or was allowed to fail as much as he was was mm-hmm. extraordinary. Regardless, yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's one of the most fascinating studies, right? If you yeah, if yeah. you just look at the films, and I'm not. Well, like, Separate art from artist guy, but yeah. If I were to write a thesis about it, one of the conclusions I've come to is that he basically made five movies over and over again. (laughs) He basically just makes five movies, and that's kind of it. And it's like um, a light murder mystery, a dark murder mystery, like a light divorce, and I'm I'm cheating on you movie, a dark divorce, and I'm cheating on you movie, and then just sort of like your like your Zelig or or like your sleepers, just like some kind of off the wall, yeah, brand kind of wacky bananas. Yeah, yeah, just a wackiness kind of thing. No, you're absolutely right. But look, I mean, if you want to crucify me for this, if you want to cancel me, look, if we're popular enough to get canceled, then great. Some of these movies are, from the writer in me, some of the best written movies of all time. And I'll be honest with you, some of these movies are yeah. the, some of the worst written movies of all time. Like, yeah, you know, yeah um, there's some really... Yeah, there are some good, but then there's like, you know, Shadows and Fogs or like The Other Woman or, or Another Woman. Like, there these movies are like, yeah, you're just like, I can't believe this is the same. Not even that it's the same guy, but like that, that a, uh, that someone has like such range, I guess you could say sometimes. I don't know. I'll put it this way, right? Like, if you are a writer, if any of you out there like fancy yourself a writer or just someone who just has creative ideas. Imagine if every single creative idea you had, someone give you money to make a movie of. Would they all be great? No. <laughs> no, most of them would be crap. Some gems would be in there. Like, uh, for, yeah. for my money, Hannah and Her Sisters is the greatest written movie of all time. I 100% oh, okay. believe that. By the way, I still believe Woody Allen's a monster. And it's really hard to separate the art from the artist. Because you watch a movie like Manhattan, which I find brilliant but at the same time, creepy as fuck. Yeah, it looks brilliant. <laughs> I'll say that about it. <laughs> Look, honestly, I even think the story is brilliant. That doesn't mean it's I like it. That doesn't mean yes, it's good. Yes, that doesn't mean I agree with what it's saying. You can't say Woody Allen's not talented. That does not excuse him from his bullshit, right? Putting it out there, you and I bonded over Woody Allen. We're not here to defend Woody Allen. Exactly. Good point. Yeah, because I mean, you know, we also bought it over um, The Last Temptation of Christ and Harvey Keitel's performance in that. So, you know. And Woody Allen is just one part of it. So just full disclosure today, we are more talking about the Coppola part of this film, unfortunately. (laughs) Well, I mean, look, uh, I would say, fortunately, to be quite honest, and 
And you would be the only one in the world to say that. And I can't, I can't believe that. I mean, when we talk about Scorsese here, I got, a, I got notes like you couldn't, like you want to talk creepy. Uh, like this one really gave me the shivers. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into it. But uh, th- just, just for everybody, this is a uh, three short films. It's an anthology. Three yes. New York stories. That's why it's called New York Stories by three directors. We're talking about Woody Allen this way, and Scorsese as well. You and I both love Scorsese. We again, we bonded over the Last Temptation of Christ, as you said. These are three directors who, growing up, I loved, I admired as directors, not as people. <laughs> but that when I found out that this existed, I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these three titans in my mind. Again, at the time, these three titans <laughs> in my mind made a film together this is so cool i remember watching it and being so disappointed for a couple reasons yeah yeah this doesn't happen very much in, uh, i mean like ever like anthologies are generally like horror and sci-fi stuff but like every once in a while you get like uh was it was it four rooms or was that it four rooms the tarantino and robert rodriguez and etc cetera, etc cetera. there was that um with tim roth as the bellhop there's like uh paris jetem and things like that but uh on the most part these are like kind of oddities that i think there should be a lot more of yeah i wish there was more uh so in school i took a lot of art history classes especially in college and famously one of these patrons whether it was a medici or whatever built two walls and his dream was for da vinci to paint on one of them and what michelangelo to paint on the other one he never got them to do it but the idea that like greats like that would somewhat collaborate on something yeah yeah it's amazing to think about right so i was so excited with this i thought there would be some through lines here spoiler Mm -hmm. there's not so in most versions of the film, and, and this is where we do our version check, the only different versions you can get of this is like in foreign markets, sometimes the films are in a different order. Oh, really? Okay, that's that's odd. But that's it, right? Like there's never been another cut of this. This was a flop. <laughs> You're this kidding. Was, this was kind of buried, <laughs> and there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm curious to know some of the history of this and how this came about because – it feels like one of these things are not like the other. You know, it Mike, feels like... For days, for days I tried to find the history of these films. No uh-huh. one talked about this after they made it. The first thing I would ask Uncle Francis if I had him in front of me, I'd be like, why is it you, Scorsese, and Woody Allen? Why isn't it you, Scorsese, and like, I don't know, couldn't you find a another new york filmmaker you were tighter with than woody you know it just doesn't feel like he's part of the crew you know what i'm saying like it's like now you couldn't get spielberg necessarily because he's not a new yorker but like could couldn't you mike here's here's the deal coppola the one thing i found was that coppola is a last minute replacement here and you're implying that the one of these things is not like a the other is the woody allen one and that's actually the case the one of these things is not like the other is the coppola piece Spielberg so was cool. actually the person who was supposed to direct the middle film. Get out of here! And he dropped out, which, look, East Coast, West Coast, it's hip-hop, it's directors. I love Spielberg. Love Spielberg. You know that. Yeah. There's no yeah. way that Spielberg is a New York no. film no. director. No. Spielberg is a West Western guy. Like, not Western like Cowboys, you know, but like Western-style film director, right? Yeah. But you know who could have done it, though, is like... 
De Palma. Okay, get Brian De Palma in there. He's part of the crew. Or George Lucas. Get George Lucas. To, I would love to see his take on New York City. It would be like Metropolis or something. I want you Blade to save Runner. these thoughts. I have a question for you later. So save the thoughts on who would have directed Okay, this. okay. That's my, that's my huge note. My huge note is coming into this. I get it that Coppola and Scorsese are here. I just don't – it just seems like Woody Allen isn't – like part of that circle like and that sounds odd because they're all filmmakers and they're all successful and they're all at the top of their game and stuff so it, there's no reason they're not you know talking to each other or anything it's just in my mind he doesn't he seems like the outsider but look i'm a new yorker i live in manhattan i was born in queens i love new york i love new york films like one of my po ideas for a podcast was a new york movie podcast and then someone made a really great one and i wish i remembered the name but i deleted it from my mind because I was so angry when they made it and they did such a good <laughs> job. You know, that like artist kind of jealousy that I was like, fuck. So I, so I didn't do that. But Woody Allen is a great New York filmmaker for depicting a certain side of New York, which again, we'll get into. This film though is structured first with the Scorsese film. We'll deep dive the Coppola film, but let's just uh, quickly digest what we thought of the Scorsese film. So Mike, before you... Presumably mm -hmm. trash it. This, no. is this is considered the gem of the collection. Critics have given this basically this part. What is it called? Um, life lessons. Yeah. Critics have given it the you know the A plus in this series. Ooh, Scorsese segment based on Dostoevsky's The Gambler. Ooh, okay. I wasn't sure it could get more pretentious. <laughs> I actually really liked it. Is it twenty twenty two? Absolutely not. But for me, and thinking of what Scorsese is doing at the time, and thinking about what he'll do in the 90s, which I love, but for him to go back to New York roots, Scorsese is the New York filmmaker, right? With Mean Streets and stuff like that. Uh, growing up on Elizabeth Street in the Lower East Side. And while this is not that, this is gonna, I, I think you'll agree with me, Mike, but this is going to sound weird. This felt to me like Martin Scorsese directing a Woody Allen film. Hmm. It's not, in terms of shot work, how it works with the music, what is that, like a whiter shade of pale, which has been used in so many movies. I, oh, I can't hear that song anymore. <laughs> Scorsese, though, to me, cuts to it so well. Remember in, actually, Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, the Max Van Sydow character, who is Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah an established, like, solo mm -hmm. New York artist who takes yeah. on a younger protege. The lens I saw this movie is that the Nick Nolte character, he's obviously not a good guy. And to me, what saved it and what made it arguably great is the ending. Like, he's begging to be with this girl. It's about hit love. He's an accomplished artist. But, he, but uh, the young woman, played by Rosanna Arquette, He's like, you know, pines over her, whatever. And he does all this. But he shows that he's actually an arrogant asshole dirtbag in the end because one woman shows gives him attention and he resets the process. Yep. And while, while it's like fucked up, to me that's so true. And it's about like male arrogance and the arrogance of the artist and what the artist does after they have that success. And his bullshit and his pretension, like, oh, if you're not struggling, you're not an artist. And trying to like essentially like mansplain and give lessons to this young woman and yeah in the end he's the biggest liar of them all like i love movies like this i love how he shot <laughs> it i love music for it. i'm like 
wow like bravo Marty. So, i thought you did so I, I feel like i felt that way when i first watched it the first time i felt like i watched it and i was like i'm watching just like art but it's like he's painting the movie like you know like that's how i felt the first time i was like scorsese like oh my gosh like way to go you know but for some reason this time around like it's it doesn't feel as genuine to me i don't know what it is about it because i know scorsese is like a very honest and open filmmaker i don't know what he was going through around this time i don't know if this was pre or post after hours which i think is one of his best movies about new york and has has this kind of vibe to it as well there's a lot of loft stuff there's a lot of artists you know, uh, alternative art and that kind of thing. Just a lot of weirdo stuff after after dark in New York City going on. After Hours is 85, by the way. So this is like a couple years after. Okay, okay. So we might be sort of like, you know, revisiting some of those ideas here a little bit, possibly as like this, because this guy could be a character out of that movie. Like this scenario, I feel like is a scenario partially in, in that film uh, to some degree or another. But I appreciate what he's, what he what he is saying you know like the whole concept of like this guy he's accomplished he's successful like yeah he's a brilliant painter but he's also like a complete phony and an asshole and like he can't even you know like as much as he says like oh i know who i am i'm nick Dolte, the painter like he has no fucking clue who he is and he's lying to himself and we all are you know like i mean i i appreciate that and i understand all of it but for some reason it just didn't go down well for me this time around i just it felt too sort of aggressive i feel like i'm not saying like it felt predatorial or anything like that per oh, se because 100 felt predatorial to okay me. then 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 let me then let me just i didn't want to be that harsh about it because i do feel like now i'm starting to trash it a little bit but like yeah just in modern eyes like it it felt toxic it feels toxic and it just doesn't feel like he's saying this is bad i guess that's what i'm saying right like watching it this time it feels like scorsese's like this is the way it should be going like even though this guy's a jerk off like that's what you become like you're not allowed like doesn't he even say it's, it's was it this i heard recently something like you're not maybe it was rick and morty you're not allowed to be like a creative unless you know you're depressed and horrible <laughs> like you know having an imagination is actually a byproduct of mental illness uh, that was definitely from rick and morty but you know you take my point i hope what i'm trying to get at no 100 i think we're landing at the same point but we just think that he processed it differently. I think if you, if yeah. we didn't have that ending where he meets that other girl, I'm in your camp. But to me, I, the only way I can interpret that ending is just to show the audience, this guy's a scumbag. Yeah. He's been bullshitting the entire time. Like, his existence is bullshit. His art is potentially bullshit. His art is definitely bullshit to me. I mean, I didn't get it, but I don't seem, I don't find myself to be that shallow, but I don't know. One of the notes I had is like, whoever this artist was, it was like a real artist and Scorsese really liked him. And he started promoting his artwork and the guy got famous. Um, so, so they used his actual artwork. And then like, uh, one, like Vanity Fair or some big magazine interviewed this guy and he trashed the film and Scorsese. Wow. And Scorsese was like, like stop supporting him after that and this guy like 
fell fell into obscurity and his art like just plummeted in sales. <laughs> B- bad move on this guy. But it's also again to yeah. me that that's like great because like that's the fickle not great for him like you know artists should make money but like right it's the fickle nature of the art world like what's hot it's hot and what's not is not yeah and this guy turned out like the artist that they used turned out to be an asshole like the artist in the story <laughs> <laughs> art imitates life um, so look i liked it the critics liked it i get why in a 2022 lens you'd watch and be like this is a toxic movie i guess i'm drawn to things with bad people like i don't i never liked the artist i didn't want to like the artist and that was that um yeah but but i get it right i mean what do you think of like the shot work and stuff i mean otherwise like it's um you know gorgeous like the uh the camera moves are great like i like how he uses the aperture you know to to, to focus in on things like that's a very silent film technique to do you know that I didn't. I thought Tarantino was the only one with a foot fetish in Hollywood that yeah. was putting it, putting it on display so hard. You know, when Nick Nolte's like, "I just want to kiss your foot" or something. Like that. <laughs> I didn't know I could really do a Nick Nolte. Uh, but uh, oh God, for, yeah, we got twenty four hours, Eddie Murphy. Let's draw. Let's do this. Nick Nolte was once people's sexiest man alive. So, oh my God, what? Blind people? No, just joking. Um, <laughs> didn't mean to be so negative right now. I know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm on a roll. Just uh, I can't. <laughs> oh, I can't. I can't. We're defending stop. Woody Allen. We're criticizing <laughs> blind. You know. Look at us today. Look at us. Hey, no, blind people can tell. They feel faces. They'll know that he's ugly. <laughs> oh man. So okay. That's the Scorsese one. When we do our Scorsese cast, we'll we'll do a deeper dive of it. So the middle segment is the Coppola segment, Life Without Zoe. We'll get back to that one. I, obviously, that's going to be the focus of the episode. Quickly, it ends with... If the Scorsese segment got the A, the finishing segment, which, by the way, was, like, top build. Really? Is this the Oedip- Oedipus Rex? Oedipus Rex. It's the Woody Allen segment. This It was supposedly... The return of Woody Allen to screwball comedy. <laughs> if you can somehow delete everything you know about Woody Allen and watch the movie, it is a funny movie. All of them are run between 30 and 40 minutes long. And this film is about basically his mother. <laughs> How else he what do you mean ba- basically about his mother? Uh, it's, it's the Oedipus complex. Like, he's he is in love with, he thinks he's in love with a woman. And what, he can't commit to her he can't played uh, by played by mia farrow played by mia farrow his wife at the time uh right they were still at the time i mean she was in tons of his work she's amazing well, i don't think actors. they were ever officially married which is oh yeah i guess i guess of, you're right uh well so anyway uh but like uh, you know it's common like you, you know it's trouble introducing you know your your girlfriend to your mom or like it's trouble proposing to your girlfriend and all this kind of thing and so like you know he, he he has to introduce her to the the mom, and the mom appears in the fucking sky. Like it's just too, it's just too much. I feel like you know, it's his return, but he returned too hard. I actually look. I didn't mind all that as a film. I actually thought it was pretty funny. It is very, very Woody Allen esque, right? Like this is something, like you said, Mike. He does return to similar things and similar actors. Uh, it, it, like he's Kavner, in it, right? Like. Um, yeah yeah mia farrow like and again yeah yeah it's surreal 
And like yeah. he's gets surreal. Like again, I'll mention again, Zelig, I think is just like one of the best movies. Like it, it's so funny. Like I just love that. It's like the first mock you, maybe not the first, but like it's a mockumentary, you know, and it's, it's incredible. But like, this is just too far. I don't know what he was really aiming for by putting the mom in the sky like that. So, so to me, if I were going to craft the movie, I, I like life lessons as the lead here. I might put Oedipus Rex, the Woody Allen one, as the middle like comedy palate cleanser. Oh, yeah, yeah. And finish with something sort of darker, more related in the end, right? Like, when we talk about what strings these three projects along, it's really just New York. But it, to me, it doesn't feel like there was a unifying theme. To me, it feels like, hey, let's give a little bit of money, because the budget was pretty low here. A li- let's give a little bit of money to three great filmmakers. Just tell them the only prompt is New York. And submit your project. We'll put it together, and it is what it is. And that, to me does not work if you want people to go to the theater and watch a movie. Like, to me, you need the three filmmakers to sit down and say, these are what we're talking about. This is These are the overall themes we want to show. Yeah. So we know what Life Without, Without Zoe is about. We'll get into it. But I do want to say, alarming on this watch, it's called New York Stories. And it is about, and I'm not kidding, it is about when you look at where it's shot, where it is, Mostly white people, very rich people, in a 50... Block radius. <laughs> 70 block radius. In so, Manhattan, one borough. A city of five boroughs. Yep. One borough. So, New York stories, it's more like Mm-mm. rich Manhattan stories. That's what this movie yeah. is called. One rich white story. Um, <laughs> like... I'm glad you said that, Brian. Rich. Like, this is too rich for me to be able to relate. Like, this is like... Could one of them have been working class? Could all of them? Like, why couldn't, like, some of the characters... and Why couldn't there be more characters from a more variety of the city in one or the other? You know? Like, I am shocked that that most of them are sort of like, well, at least like I'm shocked that the Scorsese one mostly is like a bottle episode for the most part. Like it just takes place in that loft. Like I was shocked the first time I watched this, that it wasn't about like a cab driver or something like that. You know, I think Jim Jarmusch made that movie. Because Scorsese, right? Like he is someone who very much shows blue collar people. I would say most of his, his work is about blue collar people. And that's why I said, Oh, this feels like Scorsese did a Woody Allen thing because Woody Allen, which again, I love, I love people don't like this, but, but I love that Woody Allen focuses on a certain aspect of New York and society. And it's like a rich white, some mostly Jewish. But some Jewish yeah. Like, society, yeah the right? people, like, the people who could afford psychotherapy. <laughs> exactly. Like that exists. But like, if you know, Woody Allen is working on this project, Marty. And again, I love your film, Marty focus on what, you know, like, and then, okay, and you have a guy yeah. like Coppola who depicts, you know, not just Mafia, but, like, he does do Blue Collar as well. And he does this? Yeah. Well, okay. I have a th- I have a theory about Coppola's segment, to me, that makes more sense than any of these other segments, in my mind. And that is that he has 
young children, you know, I could understand him wanting to do something they can see, something from their point of view. And he's going to keep trying because he'll go on and attempt that movie Jack, you know, about children and things. And it just seems to me like he's turning a corner and wants to do more G-rated fare to see if he can do it even. And, you know, I feel like a lot of filmmakers and artists and actors get to the point where they're like, I want to make something. And I know De Niro got there with Rocky and Bullwinkle. I want to do something my kids can see. Well, even Scorsese, and I think it's a great movie, but even Scorsese does Hugo, right? Which is 100% yeah. a kid's movie. So I'm not against that. Not at all. But if you do a children's movie, should you package it in a Scorsese and Woody Allen sandwich. <laughs> no, that it's seems the like the worst, worst idea in the, the worst. world. It's the, it's the worst. It's the worst. Especially, Brian, that it's like a little girl. And the first segment is about objectifying young women, right? This 21-year-old model basically is living with this like guy in his late 30s who is abusive and the last segment is about a guy who can't who can't commit to his girlfriend because he wants to have sex with his mother like what the fuck is happening here mike it's like if you me and our good friend the foodie films man kyle were planning a meal together for our friends and i say mike you're in charge of the appetizer I'll be in charge of the meal. And Kyle, you're in charge of the dessert. And let's say we don't talk to each other about what we're going to bring. We don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't mention it. And Mike, you're in charge of the appetizer and you bring this beautiful charcuterie board. It's got meat. It's got cheeses, like everything, right? Like maybe you got some pigs in a blanket there. It's good. And then Kyle brings like a tiramisu and it's amazing, right? Like, and, and right. whatever. And I bring a tofu dish that's delicious <laughs> and, and and great, but it just doesn't go with the hearty things you brought. No one is having the charcuterie, and, and maybe they're going to tiramisu, maybe they're not, and then yeah. having just like this tofu dish in the middle. Well, it, it well, just, we, we should yeah. talk is my point. We, we should get along. And so I want to be clear. I do not hate life without Zoe like some people do. I think it could be better. I just don't think it belongs here. I wish he, he like, expanded on this and made it a full movie and not done this. I, I just wish he, like, stuck... I wish every one of these people stuck with what they knew, almost like what... I guess Woody Allen did, right? But, like, and then <laughs> just sort of put it together so we got different sides in New York instead of, like... Rich stories, and the middle one's a children's story. Yeah, yeah. I think people, when they hear Coppola in New York, they're expecting The Godfather, okay? And what's funny, and we'll get into it a little more when we talk about it, is that he kind of gets closer to Tim Burton Batman, you know? Like, I feel like I feel like if he went in a certain direction with this, he could have done something that didn't star children, but was for kids. And it was more of like a children's crime thing going on, or maybe even like a Nancy Drew something inspired. Like, I think he would have rocked that. And there's hints of that type of filmmaking here. You know, there's like this nice kind of Dick Tracy, couple Dick Tracy moments I felt going on with like the heist and stuff like that. And I don't know. Other than that, it's just like kids 
that are acting like adults. So <laughs> it's so so they're not even like kids doing kids things. They're so rich that they're already in their like late twenties. So it's so hard to relate. <laughs> so life without Zoe. Okay. This is everything I heard about it, like talking about it with like film nerds, right? The big thing here is that Domino herself, Sofia Coppola, wrote the screenplay with her father. Yep. Uh, she was 17 years old at the time. This, to me, is... Mike, I think you hit the nail on the head. Coppola doing something not just for families, but for his family. His father does the score. Um, his other daughter, Gia, who we'll talk about on this podcast for sure, plays a baby in this, right? It's almost like he got this opportunity to be part of this project, and he said, hey, let me just do something for my family, which I admire as a human being and as a person, but less so as like being a part of this artistic venture. I totally wish this was, like you're saying, uh, just a, a family project he did himself. I have nothing wrong. I have no problem with that. Yeah. Look at Robert Rodriguez. He made three Spy Kids movies and Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which, by the way... His son yeah. wrote when he was like 10 or something, right? I'm, yeah. I'm totally cool with that. I'm okay with that. Sharp Boy and Lava Girl, whatever. But like Spy Kids, huge hit. I think Coppola could do kids' movies. So many people today rail against nepotism. I'm not pro-nepotism. But for me, if I'm Coppola and I know my daughter is super interested in filmmaking, why would I shut her out from that? I would give her every opportunity to become a great filmmaker. And I love Sofia Coppola. I think she's a great filmmaker. Do I love all her films? No. But, uh, you know, I think she's super talented. I think she, on her, in her own right, like if her last name was not Coppola, would she right. have gotten the advantages? No. But if I watched those films and not knew it was her, I would still think uh, a lot of them were great movies. Right. With that being said, yeah. like I'm not going to stand on my soapbox here and say, why did you put Sofia in charge? I, again, just don't think it belonged in this anthology. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. I mean, to and tonally, it doesn't. Like, you know, we just got done talking about, like, how the the real thing that doesn't belong is Coppola, in fact, you know, and, like, much to my dismay. And it's not about whose friends here. It's about whose styles mesh. And Coppola is just not bringing what he was probably hired to bring, what people were expecting, which was, you know, it's New York. You're known... When we're talking about New York and your name comes up, we're talking about The Godfather. You know, we're not talking about uh, the Russian Red Room or Breakfast at Tiffany's or fucking Central Park West and shit like that. You know, Eloise like, at the Plaza, which is like a pure ripoff of, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Now, I also agree wholeheartedly that he has every right to do this. And I'm glad that he did this and, it, and he's nourishing Domino's career. You know, she tried acting. It's not quite her thing. She came back to acting. It wasn't quite her thing, but like, you know, they're always there for each other and I love their relationship and I love their creative it's relationship beautiful. and beautiful. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to be quite honest, someone of that age to write this is fucking talented as all hell. Like this is, there's actually some very clever, fun, quirky kind of things going on here. There's a word that I'm searching for uh, that is sort of like not magical exactly, but whimsical. You know, it's got whimsical, that sense of yeah. yeah, like it really nails all of that and everything. So there's so again, the problem to me 
is that it's tonally and that's why i liked it the most i think is because like it's not depressing it's kind of cute and fun and if you have nieces and nephews or kids you might be able to sort of um enjoy it just to be like oh like it's funny how they're playing dress up you know that's how it feels to me for the most part these kids are playing adult uh, they're dressing up they have the run of the city to themselves they don't really realize like their privilege and their dangers in the future, you know, the way that they're sort of being kind of like raised, not exactly the best way perhaps, but all that besides, um, there's just like a nice fun sense of just, you know, being a kid to this that uh, I just, I just wish that it wasn't that they were millionaires, you know, and they're like, I understand, you know, Sophia's kind of writing what she knows. Her father's a very successful filmmaker. So the, so the girl's father is a very successful musician and not just any musician but a flautist so he's distinguished so he's not like you know a rock star or anything like you know he travels the world he goes to rome and like she probably did the same with her father and it's just like i don't know it on that level again it's kind of hard to relate to but i still appreciate it like i still like it as like a creative release for something and it definitely gives me a little more insight into uncle francis himself to see uh you know the way he's kind of like raising his family and family. stuff yeah Mike, I, <laughs> great I, segue <laughs> i agree with most of that i just also on its own don't think it's particularly strong and here's why what is with that ending like i think there's actually a full-length movie movie here mm. that, that's like a fun family movie and it's so crazy because i actually see Sofia Coppola's directing in this. I see some of her later works in this. I see Marie Antoinette in this. Mm. I also see a lot of Wes Anderson in this in terms of the way it looks. And also, Wes Anderson, I'm thinking of like Tenenbaum specifically, but a lot of other stuff, loves to focus on that higher class of people. Or what's what's it called? Uh, uh, What's the the hotel Uh, one, though? Um, Oh, um... Yeah, the uh, it's on the tip of the, the Grand... The Grand Budapest Hotel, like... Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that here, so you could tell that, like, uh, Wes Anderson... Um, I mean, he's sad. Look, he works at Roman Coppola a lot. He works at uh, yeah. Schwartzman a lot, you know? Yeah, he's he, connected. He, he's very connected <laughs> here, right? Like, he's in he's in the... He, maybe he's the Tom Hagen of, of, <laughs> of the Coppola uh, family. I see a lot of that here, and I love the way this looked. I love the hotel aspect. I don't care if it's an Eloise ripoff. I'm down with that. But the movie sort of just plateaus... In terms yeah. of this, as a story, and they're just like, oh, I guess my parents are getting back together, sort of. Hey, let's let's go to Europe, play a concert, great. Like that didn't feel earned to me, but I saw okay. I saw nuggets of, of a good film here, and that's why I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna diss the fact that he let his daughter write it and and that, that there's a story here because I, I again I do believe that there's something here. One, it just doesn't belong here. Two, let it breathe. Like the other ones, I yeah. like the length. This was the shortest one of the anthology. And I'm like, where did we land yeah. here? Why am I watching this at certain times? <laughs> That's a, they say a couple interesting things. You know, it's like, um, it makes me wonder because Scorsese and Woody Allen's segments definitely are like, this is it. Like, this is all we wrote. It's conclusive, like beginning, middle and end. This is the, the, the Coppola one is the one that does feel like 
we have a greater idea. I'm filling in for this thing. Like, what do we got? And can we make it fit? Like, can we cut it down? And it's funny because this is kind of like, you know, when I was making a student film, this is what I ended up doing was like, I focused on the most important scene in the first act, the most important scene in the second act, and then the most important scene in the third act. And I made sure I had that. And then I just tried to sort of like fill in the gaps the best I could. And that's sort of how this feels where it's like, it's the one that could be a complete film. And we're seeing the bullet points of what those moments would be. We just don't get it. We don't get like the fun and games. We don't have it fleshed out. We don't get any of the meat and potatoes, you know, but we're seeing all of the elements. And maybe that's why it's not entirely successful is because like we're getting all that without a lot of the context necessarily. We don't have time for context in a lot of this. Like, so we know her parents are possibly getting divorced and at the end they're not. Like we know that her father's going away on a trip and she can't go, but then her and her mom meet around the meet him at his gig. Like there was that whole thing where like the diamond was supposed to be stolen and then it was dropped and she got it and she returned it to the princess. Was there an affair? That's all very inconclusive. She gets the ring. Like there's a lot of just like plate spinning. And, you know, I agree that that makes it less successful, but I still really enjoyed it, you know, for what it was. And you are the only one in the world because this apparently was bashed when the movie came out. People even today have said this ruins the anthology. That this no. Is, yeah, like, l- look at the uh, score. Look. No, I mean, I believe you. I just don't believe that. So, yeah, look, critics liked it. 75%, 56% by the audience in Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's like 3.1 on Letterboxd. So, like, not a terrible movie by any means. But you read every review, and they're like, it's mostly good. I don't get what Coppola was doing. Like, that is the larger theme <laughs> here. Like, that, like, it just did not fit in. Again, I am not with those people in terms of, like, I don't think this movie is trash. You hear a lot of stuff, again, dissing Sofia Coppola, linking it to The Godfather 3. I am definitely not going to go there. No. But I get what people are saying. Like, I think someone else or, or something else in this anthology here makes this, like, an underrated anthology. Because I think the Woody Allen film's underrated. I think the Scorsese film is underrated. And I think the Coppola film is fun and cool, and I'm happy he did that for his family. And I don't think less of him at all for doing this. But, again, it just doesn't fit in the film. And I, I blame the producer. I don't know who, who, like, the lead producer was on this. Okay. I don't know. I want an anthology. Like, I, I don't know why. I'm picturing a story, like an L.A. noir sort of story that, like, you have three stories, right? And you have, like, one detective connecting them all. And that goes back to, like, human history, right? What, what's it called? Uh, uh, a Thousand and One Nights? Like, the what Aladdin comes from? Oh, the Arabian Nights? Yeah, yeah, right. Like, we're almost conditioned to have a... Uni- what is that, what is that called? Like, a unifying... Connecting, it's all connected. Like, a connective tissue throughout all... all the story. Yes, a, a, cinematic, a cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> but the connective tissue is supposed to be New York City. And I don't know if it generally is here. Yes, it all takes place in New mm-hmm. York City. But let me ask you this question before we get into the cast and some other things I want to talk about. Does New York City feel like a character in these three films? <laughs> uh, not as much as in um, We Came Together. <laughs> if you've seen that mm-hmm. that Paul Rudd Amy Poehler movie, I love that. I think it's a um, 
David Wayne film. And, you know, the whole, one of the main jokes of that is like, you know, I'm going to tell you this story. It's about me, the time I met my wife and, and a little place called New York City. And you could, you might as well say New York City was the uh, third character in our story. It was a central character. So I, you know, I get what people mean when they say that. And I'm not against it if that is what's happening, but I just don't feel like that was the intent here like you said i think it's just too there's just not enough communication going on to be like um this all belongs together you know they should have screened this and seen the coppola thing and been like it doesn't fit thematically or whatever and that uh let's can it or just release it with the two and ask them to extend their parts or find an extra third guy and like coppola and his daughter go make this into like a, a feature film for on their own or something I don't know. That, that's exactly what I would have said. Like, Francis, I like the ideas here. This is not what our assignment is. Just make this into your own movie. And, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll find someone else. I wonder what uh, Spielberg was going to do. Whew. I'm trying to think of, like, what are New York Spielberg films? West Side Story. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a big one. I think that's, that's, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, I mean, I'm going to really have to struggle. Um, the beginning of Catch Me If You Can takes place in New Rochelle. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say, oh uh, no, New Jersey is World of the Worlds, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's like New York area, you know. Um, the hey, post- I'm I'm from Jersey. It takes place in Jersey. Okay, give me World of the World. Hey, the Orson Welles took place in Jersey. The original book took but place in. It's London. this general area. Uh, I know. I'm joking. The Post was Washington, right? Like. Uh, I'm trying to think of like more of the more recent stuff, but like his traditional, right. traditional stuff, I don't think of as New York centric stuff. So no, no, me neither. Let's just talk quickly about the cast here. Uh, Heather, yeah. Mac- Heather McComb plays Zoe. Where do you know her from? I don't know her from anything, but I'm looking at her stuff, and like apparently I've seen her in a lot of stuff, and uh, she is James. Vanderbeek's wife, so well, ex-wife. They they are currently. Oh, they together. okay. Well, I thought that was kind of cool that uh, that they were together. Uh, too bad, and also that she was born in Jersey. So, all right, not too far. Lakewood girl, yeah. Uh, so it's interesting. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I was like briefly dipped into American Gigolo, the new show based on the movie oh, with John Burke Barenthal. And she's in that, so she's still acting. Wait, is he the American Gigolo now? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Punisher. Yeah, he's like, that's, he's the. Uh, that's the crazy. So I want to hear any of the crazier connection. So the original was a Paul Schrader film, right? And and he wrote Taxi Driver, and oh, apparently, yeah. originally American Gigolo was supposed to be the Further Adventures of Travis Bickle. What? Apparently, I didn't oh, know fucking, that. Yeah, I heard him talk about that, and um, I think that's even in the Taxi Driver audio commentary at some point, if I'm not mistaken. I could be mistaken, but what else is kind of funny about Heather is that in ni- she's in a 1990 TV program, The Outsiders, oh, yeah. which links her back to Uncle Francis. So, Oh, a small world indeed. And she was on Party of Five and stuff, so like I know I've seen her and stuff. Yeah, she pops in things here or there, but hell of a career. Uh, Talia Shire... Once again, in a couple of film. Yo, Adrian, what's up? <laughs> Not a couple of film. <laughs> I love Talia Shire, and I gotta find movies that I that aren't Rocky that she's in. If she's in more movies, you know, I don't know that. I feel like she didn't really have that big a filmography. But she's in I Red. Wanna... 
She is in Rad. Yeah, she's in a lot of. A lot yeah, of she's Cobra in some stuff. Things. You know, I see here like Cold Heaven, Bed and Breakfast, Deadfall, things I don't think I've ever seen or really heard of that much. But oh, she's in the Prophecy. That's pretty cool. So I'd like I'd like to do sort of a uh, Talia Shire episode or something at one point. You know, I mean. One of the interesting things about Talia Shire is that, of course, um, yes, she gets her la- uh, her last name from her first husband, uh, David Shire. David, yeah. But then she would marry later Jack Schwartzman, yep. the famous film producer. That's where, you know, John Schwartzman, Jason Schwartzman, Robert Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman, yeah. That's where they get that last name. But he has a fascinating B-movie. Yep. IMDb. I think he produced oh, yeah. that like um, if I'm, you would know more than me because you're into this more than I am. But I think he produced that like Sean Connery yep. Bond movie. Never say yeah. Never say never again. The Eon production. Yes, the non broccoli <laughs> production. But I yep. I just know from doing the research on Rad, he produced Rad. So he produced a lot of other sort of. There's no other way to put it, like B movie stuff. And she was Yeah, it was sort of sort of like canon film, but one notch above, right? They weren't doing guns and gore. They were doing more sort of like teenagers, you know, loitering. <laughs> so look, if the show gets long enough, he is a son in law or what uh yeah, son in law. Brother in law. A, a brother in law to Coco. Oh yeah, yeah, right? brother in law, brother in law, yeah. yeah. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking from the a different perspective. You're right. He's a brother-in-law to Coppola. That's in the family tree. So maybe one day we'll cover those films. You never know. Hey, they should do a remake of Rad. That would be amazing. Oh, amazing. In terms of other people just in the cast, I know I'd seen this guy before, Giancarlo Gianni, who plays like the... Oh, yeah, the flautist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the dad. Oh, that's where I've seen him. And he's in Casino Royale, speaking of Bond. Hey... Yeah, Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale. That's right. He plays the. Mathis, uh, oh, I always. Right? Yeah, yeah. I always forget the name of 007's like confidants because they all get shot by the third. <laughs> and then he always has to get revenge for him. Yeah, so that's yeah. He plays Mathis in those films. So yeah, sort of the arms dealer, right? Like the the Robbie Coltrane, I think, did a version of that. The, so, the Pierce Brosnan era. You want to hear something funny? Hell yeah. I think you'll like this. He is also, since 1975, the official Italian language dubber of Al Pacino. So every every Pacino film from 1975 on, when it's translated to Italian, he does the voice of. So that's awesome. (laughs) That's terrific. Wow. I wonder if they've ever. What happens when they're in the same movie together? Oh, good question. He does both know. voices. Does Pacino do his voice? <laughs> I don't know. That'd be hilarious. Um, just to run through the cast, Don Novello, yeah. who's like a big character actor, plays Hector. Oh, yeah. We know him from, he's in Godfather 3, and he's uh, mm-hmm. on SNL. I knew him as uh, Father uh, Guido Esparducci. <laughs> so <laughs> grew up with that. Yeah. So definitely a couple of guy there. Um Blink if you missed this, but Adrian Brody, his first film ever. Missed him. Yeah. I had to I go blinked, back. I guess. Because, like, I read that fact and people, like, bragged about it. Because, uh, just FYI, in the other segments, there's a lot of other stars. Like, Kirsten Dunst. Oh, yeah. Her first. Steve uh, Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, yeah. And he's a big crap. By the way, Mike, that Steve Buscemi, like, play he does, he wrote yeah. himself for the movie. Oh, it's not. 
I kind of that's my favorite part of that segment. Maybe because we're out of the loft, but like, yeah, he's performing it in like the abandoned subway where I see it. It's like you know style wars where they used to go down and like do graffiti down into like the valves of the subway and stuff. That's what it seemed anyway. For sure, yeah. But uh, in terms of a life life without Zoe, um, Adrian Brody yes. makes his debut. Uh, Chris Elliott plays a robber. Yes. Found, I saw. I definitely recognized him. Yeah, that was what I meant about the sort of the Batman '89 moment. You know, it just it really had that vibe going. It's so funny. I feel like people today know Chris Elliott mostly from uh, Schitt's Creek, but like, right? Such, yeah. such a veteran actor. He does. He led his own sitcoms before that. You know what I mean? He had a life. It was one of the greatest. Yeah. Uh, but I knew him from Letterman, like way oh, back. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he used to do so much great stuff on Letterman. Um, and then again. People like uh, Carmine Coppola, who does the score. Oh yeah, his father. He does a and he tells a joke. That was a cute. Yeah, he he plays a street musician. Pe- again, people popping in here or there, but it's mostly about Zoe. Carol uh, Carol Bouquet, I guess. I'm just reading now. She was the face of Chanel Number no. Five. So oh I guess yeah, famous like, model. Um, she played, well, just she like associated up. with associated with like a, you know extravagant wealth, right? <laughs> like something that is prime for this movie one thing i and i don't know who this guy is but one note i saw is that paul herman is an actor he was in all three segments i did not catch him but mike Hmm. it's a unifying theme but it's almost more of a how can i put it it's almost more of a wink wink nod nod to the audience rather than like something that we're we are supposed to notice in the scorsese film life lessons he's a cop um in Life Without Zoe, he's the doorman at the hotel. And in Oedipus Rex, the Woody Allen film, he is the detective that Woody Allen goes to uh, when he's, like, canceling the case on his mom, when his mom goes missing. From what I read, the reason they put this guy in all the segments is that he had already independently been in films of all three of the other people, so they thought it would be funny. Again... If you are a scholar of either of these directors and you know that fact differently, please let us know. He was a dealer in Goodfellas. He was in Mighty Aphrodite or something, and I I can't find the the Coppola. So so I I got the list here. So in in Scorsese films, he was in The Color of Money and The Last Temptation of Christ. For Coppola, he was in the Cotton Club. Well, and Goodfellas and Casino. That's after. Oh, I'm talking. Oh, sorry, sorry, folks. But so Coppola used him again, which is great. So, so we'll notice him too. Let's look out for this guy. But uh, before they shot it, yeah, he was just in the Cotton Club. And for Woody Allen, he's in the Purple Rose of Cairo and Radio Days. Oh, Purple Rose of Cairo, thumbs up. Radio Days, yeah, not so much. Yeah, Radio Days overrated. Like a lot of people, again. No one cares about our Woody Allen reviews. George Lucas like produced a movie with Keanu that was very much like Radio Days, and it was just like, why are these guys pining for the time where you put on a play on the radio? Like it was just, I mean, it's fascinating to one degree, but it's so bizarre that like a bunch of guys like grew up with that, made movies about that. Yeah, Radio Days to to me really overrated. Purple Rose of Cairo really underrated. Purple Rose of Cairo shot in a Piermont close to where I grew up, and and not far nice. from where you grew up, but. Yeah, that's a good one, I think. But uh, regardless, Herman, you're right, later was in Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. And he was also, oh, nice. he was also in Bullets Over Broadway and Mighty Aphrodite. Yeah. The uh, Keanu movie I was referring to is called Tune In Tomorrow, and Peter Falk is also in that movie. And Barbara oh. Hershey. 
Oh, I like Barbara Hershey. We we've talked Barbara Hershey. I feel like a lot in our podcasting career. Yeah, <laughs> um, a little weird, but okay. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going through my notes on life. Oh, real real quick. Uh, also, just like because you said Paul Herman, and maybe remember at the um, at the party, some kids dressed up like Pee Wee Herman. And I <laughs> just you know, caught that. Oh yeah, and also about Paul Herman, like I recognize him from The Sopranos. He looks also, though, he looks a little like the guy from The Godfather who's Michael's bodyguard. What was that? What oh, was Al Neary. He does he looks look a little like, like Al Neary. He does, right? Yeah. Yeah, but Beansy, he played in The Sopranos. I forgot about Beansy, that. Beansy, yeah, but he gets uh, he gets crippled in, like, season two or three or something, and then, yeah. Yeah, but, but a big character. Yeah, that's great. I think he gets run over by a car. <laughs> I mean, not that that's not great, but it's great that, you know, no, he has but, such a yeah. long, great career. <laughs> So for me, my notes, just like the New York stuff, right? Like Columbus Circle yeah. is is non-distinguishable. Like Columbus Circle today and Columbus Circles they show here is like, whoa, you know what I mean? It, it's totally yeah. different. There's a lot of stuff here where you're like, oh, if you know New York, you're like, that. that's crazy. What else did you have in your notes regarding Life Without Zoe? Um, she throws a croissant on the ground and just wastes it. I was like, that is probably an expensive breakfast pastry why did you do that that's very spoiled of your of her i like the fashion for some reason like it was really weird fashion is great no like that is something uh the look of the film and the fashion aesthetic here like that the hat like one of the girls has like a chanel hat that looks like it's sort of right I, I, I can't describe it. The hats in this are amazing. Like they're amazing, but but then they're wearing like you know probably designer, but like ripped up jeans with it, right? So, so you get like this total mismatched kind of like I'm wearing my mom's jacket, which is like thousands of dollars, but then I'm also wearing like these really crappy kids' jeans with them. <laughs> that that's just sort of how it looked to me, but it's probably. Those probably were like also thousands of dollars for oh, those for jeans sure. that she was wearing. But like, for yeah. sure, there's some there's some fun cute things that go on that like I rem- you know they have like a school instead of a school newspaper they have like a school TV channel yeah. and I remember my my high not the high school but like our middle school and our high school like they had like television stuff like public access access stuff that they do at school but this is like a middle school and they're following like the new kid around and, and reporting on him and one of them has like a like a camcorder and i'm just like i can't believe like <laughs> the opulence these kids in there um what they've got access to it's just crazy and none of again none of the films but specifically this one doesn't show sort of how the other half lives like all the working oh class well people. we get one homeless man Okay, but that's in, what I was going to say. In, like, in all three of them. <laughs> but yeah, so you, you have the homeless man, but you also have, like, again, the hotel workers. But they're all sort of like, yeah, we're going to support you, little rich girl. You know? Like, it's not so much. Mm-hmm. Even the homeless guy is sort of a character. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not he's not really fleshed yeah. out in any kind of way. He's just more like a set dressing for the world that she's in. True. Yeah, yeah. He's also almost like a Muppet in that sense, that, too, where he's just talking He's just talking cardboard boxes with, like, a, a gloved hand, you know? <laughs> That's a great way to put it, right? So it's just like, look, I was a government and politics major. I know people who everything they watch, they watch with the in the lens of class. Yeah. And, and I totally get that and totally understand that. And I think it's something that, like, 
people don't discuss enough. And this is not a blue collar movie. Like if we screen this in <laughs> in like a, a red county in Missouri, they'd be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this about. I mean, maybe I don't. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I've I've not really said it that much out loud, and definitely like not on a podcast, but. I definitely understand like someone watched this movie that isn't from New York and is from especially like a middle state and is like fucking New Yorker, like, you know, high class, rich pricks. Like that's all they are. Like they're all like this. Like, you know what I'm saying? It gives a bad impression. It it really does. It's it's false advertising. (laughs) Because it's again, New York stories. And there's that old line from, I don't know who first said it, but it goes all the way to Jay-Z, right? Like, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, Plato or some shit. It goes no, all no, the no, way no, back no. to it, Joseph Campbell. It goes all the way back to Jay-Z. <laughs> but it's about New York, right? Eight million stories. And it's the idea that you walk... Oh, that, yeah. You, that's that's even in in, Manha- in the movie Manhattan, For right? sure, that's Where what I'm saying. Like, like this, yeah, is, this, yeah. this, to me, is a New York City through line. You walk the streets, you're in that crowded subway... You you know you're you're walking on this block that block you're doing your thing, and like you could look at someone and imagine their story, and you can imagine eight million stories just converging, back and forth, like beams of light, and it's like people are doing their own thing, but everyone's got their life. This isn't Hoosiers, which we covered on High School Slumber Party. Like it's not a rural tale. Like this is. So many people's lives converging in this place. And this movie as a whole does not highlight that. Does not highlight yeah. that this is a city of highs. This is a city of lows. This is a city of rich people. This is a city of poor people. This is a city of people in between. When you have this amount of people in this small of a space, there's something that happens that creates a lot of good, that creates a lot of bad. There's something that happens that just like it's an incubator for all sorts of stuff. And these three stories are like a 1% of a 1% of a 1% of what happens yeah. every day in this city. And to me, I like them as separate parts. I think only marketing got them together. And the marketing failed because this movie was a flop. So yeah. I don't know where yeah. we are. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're just at their point in time in their career. They're just different filmmakers from each. They're just too far. But at least like together, they don't they don't mesh. And Brian, there are eight million stories in the Naked City. These have not been one of them, if you ask me. <laughs> or let's just say like they've been one, but not the most interesting one. I'm gonna look up eight million stories. Like who's yeah? It's from the that? Naked. It's from the Naked City. I think it's from 1948. 1948 movie. I'm not sure. Oh, they were the first ones to say. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, there are eight million stories in the Naked City. This has been one of them. Oh, it's a TV series. It's a. It's the closing line of the movie, The Naked City. Oh, and then it turned into a TV series. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention about the entire anthology? Life without Uh, Zoe. By the way, okay. One more thing. One more thing ahead. It is weird that the first movie is Life Lessons. The second story is Life Without Zoe. I was almost expecting... Life and Life. Yeah. They're going to be like Life Something, and it's not. So. Life Rex. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you had? Um, yeah, you know, I'm probably not going to watch this one again anytime soon. 
exactly but i'm glad we were watching it for coppola today and doing a deep dive on that aside from the other two i mean i probably could have talked about the scorsese one a lot better than i could have talked about oedipus than the um you know woody allen one these days uh but i don't i don't want to like go into that and dissect those and and because it just gets too dark and it goes to places my brain doesn't want to talk about right now because there's just so much of that going on still but i liked about life without zoe is just like how lighthearted it was and it was almost like a break in everything and being like you know hey um kids live in new york too and uh they uh, have outlandish mm. fantasies about what uh, being an adult is like. You know, if anything, that's just kind of what I took out of it. And uh, these are very rich kids with famous parents, and uh, your life has been very different than theirs. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really good point. So something I thought about, I like that we're not going in chronological order. I like the sort of random order we're going because it lets us bounce around where Coppola is in his career. And he's a household name by this point. That's why he's attached to this project. Like, he almost has nothing to lose, or at least in his mind. Like, let me just do something for my family. Let me spend time with my family. Let me nurture my family's artistic dreams and careers. Um, I think once we cover all the cuts, once we're old men, and we think we (laughs) might not have anything to say anymore, I think we should just do, like, actually a chronological run to see the involvement. That could be cool. I like I like it this way better, the bouncing around. But I am curious, like when we yeah. place this in the catalog, like oh okay. So it, it's funny you say that because like that's what I was hoping to get out of watching all of Woody Allen's movies in a row the first time and I didn't really feel that. You know, for the most part I felt like, oh he's getting clean he's cleaning some of his thoughts up, but for the most part he kind of starts somewhere and maintains it for the most part like it'll be interesting to see and like contrary to something like when i watched the godzilla series that i mentioned like you can see the growth and change of that character over the decades like nobody's business uh so it would be a lot of fun to see coppola and how he goes from start to finish i think he presents many more highs and lows it's much more of a ride than, than doing Woody Allen. Woody, Woody Allen kind of felt like just coasting for a few films or something like that. And uh, this feels like it would be way more of like an adventure in that sense. You know, and I've never gone through, I've seen, I, I think I've seen all of Coppola stuff, but I've never gone through it in order. So that would be something to do. And I want to, and I want to tie that back to uh, the Coppola film here and specifically Sophia's role here. I hear too many people shitting on Sophia Coppola involvement in this film particularly yeah and the nepotism part i get but to me there is a little bit of a young person bias sexist bias about it right oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah there shouldn't be children making feature films like who who that's not their business it's like well who the fuck told you that like who says yeah like mike you know this you're you're on it more than anyone i host a show called high school slumber party which is about teenage stories like, let young people tell their own stories. Like, I don't actually <laughs> mind that. And yeah, she has a famous name. And yeah, that's why she was able to tell that story. I get all that. But I'm not against it either. People get their starts in, in certain ways. And I think men in particular, no no one bats an eye, not to do the Joker thing, but like no one bats an eye when like 
a dude gets like a, a start like that, right? But when, when it's yeah. a, when it's a woman like Sofia Coppola, it's like, oh, how dare her father? How dare she do this movie? When you have a guy Woody Allen who does the third segment here, who's really like the top build. If you look at this DVD, he's the first name here. He's allowed to fail so many times. Uh, not now, obviously, but in his life, and get back up and do whatever he wants. So Coppola letting his daughter do something get shit on? It's like, this exists in the same yeah. world. So I don't, I don't know what I'm getting yeah. at, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's It's unfair. It's a, There's a bias. Like They definitely are like, look, they, they don't think that you've gone through the ringer yet. You haven't learned everything you need to know. And then the truth is, who's to say? Like, everybody develops at a different rate you're talking about a kid that was raised by one of the greatest directors on the planet how is she not gonna how was how was anyone in that family not gonna grow up to go into that business and kick ass one way or the other you know whether you're gonna be an actor producer or a writer or director or something like it's just in the fucking cards like people are like screaming nepotism all day long and you can and no one's listening anymore because like your parents are famous actors. Guess what? There's a really strong chance you're going to grow up to be an actor because you're around acting. Either that or you're going to hate it and go like sell real estate somewhere, you know, and like move away from it entirely. But like no one cares that Jack Quaid's on the boys. You know what I'm saying? Like no one cares when it's like Denzel's son in Tenet. Like everyone's praising these dudes, but like someone's daughter writes a movie and directs it and it's like a fucking witch hunt and it just sucks. And it's not like that much different anymore. People are still shitting on Sofia Coppola after she's proven herself over and over again to be a fucking dope filmmaker. So I don't I don't know. It's just there's something wrong with the individual at that level. You know what I'm saying? Like they're jealous. They're this, they're whatever. They think that they deserve what they that the other person has and they make up these excuses that they were born into it. Well, like there's a lot of look at Chet Hanks, okay? He didn't become a big actor or director or like he didn't become colin hanks you know what i'm saying so like it doesn't always go that way it's just when it does when it, it's just that it does sometimes and when it does like they a lot of them are actually good at their fucking job so you know they can shut up the people oh my you always love to bring up chet hanks <laughs> i mean chet i'm sorry bro but you made yourself the example you did <laughs> oh man okay okay mike i got a question for you before we get out of here it might be a long one it might be a short one but new york stories three again new york stories by three different filmmakers Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you had to pick and and it's sort of like my question on my other show high school slumber party defy space time and logic forget about where we are when we are if you had to pick your own three New York filmmakers to make a New York stories who are not these three. It doesn't have to be New York filmmakers, but like I would pick New York filmmakers. Who would direct your New York stories? What three filmmakers would you like to see oh, together in a project? That's insane. Um, hmm. Okay. One of them is definitely Jim Jarmusch. That's, I mean, that pick. guy, right? I mean, I. Uh, no core, I think, was the, what he defined his style as early. And he made a movie kind of like this. Night on Earth was what I was referring to, where it's just following a bunch of cab drivers doing shorts. And Coffee and Cigarettes, which is a phenomenal uh, sort of anthology, but just by him. 
Oh man, I would also, this is hard because you're saying like anyone, anytime, any place, but like maybe thematically I'd throw John Cassavetes in there. Oh, that's a good right? one. Right? Yeah. Like a lot of great underground work, but then Rose, you know, he was in Rosemary's baby. So like there's, um, there's more connection there. Uh, oh man. Now that I said that I don't want to pick like a th- third person to be controversial but polanski would would fit in there well <laughs> he's the woody also. allen <laughs> he's the woody allen of the three um but i don't kind of want to go there i want to try and think of someone maybe a little more current or a little more modern but it's tough man i don't know who represents new york in that way these days you know do you think he could uh maybe you know it'd be interesting you know who directs and makes movies that I would like to see have a shot to tell his New York story. The RZA, oh, the fucking RZA from Wu I love that pick. Damn right. And I think it would fit definitely with Jarmusch. We might have to we might have to recast Cassavetes in there, but I'm still. Oh, those are my three for tonight. Oh man, you blew my mind with that one. The RZA. I didn't. No, that, that guy knows his movies. He knows New York. He is New York. Like, of course, Wu Tang. Who's more New York than the RZA? That is, that is an amazing pick. I, I had like a master list that I was trying to pick from myself, and dude, like, again, blew my mind with that. <laughs> that that's a, that's really, truly a great one. Oh man, I like that. This is gonna be crazy. I had three different lists. Some of them are repeated. For that is that is crazy, Brian. Especially since I just off the top of my head, the only one I knew instantly had to be Jarmusch. I've, I've mentioned him earlier. I've been dying to re-mention him. <laughs> so here are my three different New York stories I'd like to see. My first one, Jim Jarmusch for sure. Hey, hey. and I want him to be paired with Spike Lee because Spike Ooh, Lee does perfect. great New York work, right? And then let's bring a woman in there. Let's bring Greta Gerwig in that mix. Oh, again, perfect. Dude, I want it. I want this so hard. Wouldn't you love to see, like, if I'm like, hey, Jeremy, Greta Gerwig, and Spike Lee are doing a trifecta That's project. perfect. Right? Holy shit. So this one. I'm jealous. <laughs> this is this one. And, and again, remember, we defy space-time logic. Some of these people, one of these pe- people, I should say, is not alive. But this one's going to be like a more lighter affair, maybe a romantic comedy, a New York Stories one. But so my three mm-hmm. here are going to be. Lynn Manuel Miranda. Nice, nice. Nora Ephron. Shout I out. I knew it. Shout out. Yep. You know, our, our, our friends, uh, Dan Cologne and Sean. The podcast Eden. around the corner. For, yeah, for the great work they do in that podcast. And Ed Burns. You know Ed Burns? Eddie oh, Burns? yeah. I love Ed Burns movies. Definitely. That, that, yeah, that tracks, certainly. What's the one? She's the one. That's a great one with. Uh, with uh, that girl from Friends. Oh yeah, She's yeah, in yeah, there. yeah. No, I like Ed Burns movies too. So, so we're we're on the same. Yeah, very cool. One. So my third one. Oh man, my third one. This is gonna <laughs> be like a sort of. I know you're not probably not gonna like this, and my mother certainly won't, because this is gonna be like more of an open-ended, darker New York tale. Uh oh. Darren Aronofsky. Oh yes. Noah Baumbach in this in this okay i'm not a fan but he fits okay but you know what i'm saying here like it, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. and the third one i don't know if a lot of people know but i really like some of his movies and that's uh ditto montiel do you know him you've definitely covered um one of his on shia 
Oh, we covered two of his Unshat. Yeah, a guide to recognizing your yes. saints. That's a. I love that movie. Yeah, I really like that I movie love too. That movie. He does a lot of Channing movies. That again, I'm not right with all of them, but he is like to me, like a guide to recognizing your saints is what I'm thinking about. That's like a, a but great fighting. Fight. I really like fighting. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. But like he, that to me, like he feels like a New Yorker. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So so like Bombach Aronofsky and him kind of like the. Dude, that's like, wild. That's like a darker, not going to be like your crowd pleaser, but like I want to see that tale as well. So those are my three New York stories. For they kick era. ass, man. Wow. I wish I wish you had asked me last night to come up with a list because Dude, now you, I feel. You brought the RZA <laughs> to the game here. I know. So that, I know. That to me was like mind blowing. But... So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Mike, this was a cool, blast. Cool. We talked longer than I thought we would about a short film, but yeah. it, it was. This is why I love Uncle Francis Wine. So I finished my bottle of wine, even though, again, the wife helped Uh-oh. me out. So it won't be as bad. <laughs> but uh, good. Thank you again. So much for listening out there. Thank you. Thank you, cellar dwellers. I was going to say slumbers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wrong show. Yes, wrong show. Thank you, nephews. Uh, Mike, any any shows you want to plug? I know you did a little bit at the beginning or anything you want to say before we get out of here. Oh, man. Just uh, check out the latest episodes of Third Times of Charm, the latest episodes of The Monsters That Made Us, the latest episodes of... This of High School Slumber Party, all the shows I'm on, <laughs> mentioning that I'm a co-host and stuff. Uh, and I don't know, have a good uh, holiday if you can. I know it's a rough holiday uh, to <laughs> to celebrate sometimes, but uh, do the best you can and hang in there this, uh, this season. Yeah, uh, well, we're definitely going to have a really fun mid-month here for December, and I'm excited for... Uh, 2023 of uncle francis i'm gonna to try to get oh, yeah. some of those uh videos up there and definitely want the video component to to be a part of this show uh but once again if you're enjoying the show tell a friend spread the word we are trying so hard to, no, uncle francis doesn't need our help but we like talking about him and we like people hearing us talk about him so so tell people about the show help us out do us a solid And Mike, it's still the closing line. Why don't you say it? Yep. Leave the gun and take the cannoli. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The end of...